You may be busy doing something while you listen to this podcast, but you're never too busy to eat healthy if you eat Vite Ramen. This podcast is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Show support for a sponsor that supports Moore's Law is Dead at the link in the description. And if you do, make sure you use offer code BROKENSILICON. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or Die Shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. All right, now let's get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Exhausted Tom. <laughs> and today I am joined by my co-host, uh, Dan. That's late night Dan, I suppose. Yeah, I should have said burning the uh, burning the midnight oil. Um, I would have said that. Is there another late night working phrase or term that comes to mind that you could have come up with on the spot? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> not really i uh, all the things that the come. midnight oil green the street sweeper gears oh <laughs> are we just doing old-timey victorian job well i meant s- s- street sweeping vehicles but i the second it left my mouth it, i realized it was all jumbled up much like probably half of the things I'm about to say on this podcast because of how tired I am. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is being recorded after the big Arrow Lake refresh Nova Lake video that just came out, which I hope performs well, because I actually got to say that one. There were several phone calls made, like as usual, like it happens with an all encompassing Intel leak. It went from being like, oh, hopefully I can get this out Wednesday afternoon. And then it's like, no, how about? Thursday after midnight (laughs) because of just how much went back and forth. But it's because there's just a lot of redefinitions I'm seeing happening at Intel, these upcoming architectures. And I feel, you know, as chaotic as it was to work on, I'm at least proud that I feel like I really have completely figured out here what's going on with Intel for the next three to four years. Like, we'll talk about it. But, I mean, anyone who watches that video, now you know. There's not a whole lot else to know about what's coming. This is what Intel will have. I just put out a video, of course, about what AMD is going to have at the same time. So, I mean, if you're a shopper, you can now plan accordingly. (laughs) No, that's good, I suppose, for the next three to four years uh, that people are (laughs) people are planning like, well, I guess I'll I guess I'll wait for Nova Lake or something (laughs) or whatever. Well, although I think. I think that I'm trying to like, all right, there were ones you could skip, like maybe Zen plus and yeah, you know, yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of it. It's like Zen plus and rocket Lake or comet Lake. But after that, I mean, let's just be honest. That was the main conclusion of that video too. We'll get to it's like both of these companies just have pretty big performance increases coming every one to two years. So if you wait, it, it it may depend on what you want the CPU for. Like if you waited for Zen 2, good one to wait for. But let's be honest, if you're a gamer, Zen 3 was actually kind of a bigger uplift than Zen 2 was over Zen Plus, you know? So yeah. 
But if you're a creator, Zen 2 is the bigger deal. Yeah. And I, I just do think that at the end of the day, whether you have Zen 2, 3, or 4, eh, you're probably still generally doing fine. I guess if you have like six cores Zen 2 for gaming, that might be a little bit limiting at this point, but still not that bad. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I guess the final thing I'll say at the opening of this show is when this comes out, we will be on vacation. You know, I'll have my work laptop with me. There is some downtime that we will have. Um, and so there's a chance if something happens, we'll do an emergency die shrink to fulfill you know, our obligations to getting those out every two weeks on average. And maybe I'll finish a video while traveling that I try to get out at the beginning or, I don't know, in the first half of next week. But outside of that, I'm kind of just hoping that giant Intel video, which is really like four videos or three videos, and this will be enough. But but do know that while you're listening to this, we will be trying to relax, um, yeah. unlike the people that submit corrections. So let us get to the one correction we have here from QH Freddy. Of course, we do this every two weeks uh if you join the moore's laws at patreon you can submit corrections or try to critique something that we said because we openly want to address that at the start of every show good trade writes in and says in broken Silicon 224 when discussing meteor like lp e-cores low power e-cores and disabling parts of the die i think one point you didn't consider is that with amd parts well so yeah so people who don't know Sometimes people will say, well, you know, the brilliant part of the tiled architecture is you can turn off one tile and because you turned off one tile, you don't use as much energy. And then that's what's so cool about Meteor, like having low power cores on the SOC die. And, you know, this things have been suggested just in general about Intel's tiled approach that this will be a major advantage, which I point out Rembrandt. Since Rembrandt, at least, AMD just turns off parts of a monolithic die. So, <laughs> like, it's not because of tiles. You're disabling parts of the die to save energy. This is actually something both companies try to work on on monolithic dies every generation, right? Yeah. But anyways, he continues, uh, with AMD parts, you need to spin up an entire CCX at a time and all the inter- interconnects associated with using a core. The potential advantage of LPE setup as in this case, is that theoretically you don't need to turn on much or any, really, of the L3 cache or its interconnects to use one of the cores. On the other hand, this does have the downside that you need to update any values in main memory every time you turn off the main ring in L3 to make sure main memory has the most up-to-date values in it. This write-back process could theoretically cost more energy than it saves due to how often power-hungry the DDR interface is, depending on how often they do it. Well, that's true. I guess... I mean, I, I, what I would say to that is like, I, I know, you know, that like, it's not as simple as turning off, <laughs> only enabling the transistors you want to in a monolithic die. But it's a good point, like how many things have to be turned on to use mm-hmm. parts of the cores in there. But at the same time, you know, I, you know, QH Freddy said it himself. I do think it's worth pointing out, though, that there are some per power consumption and performance penalties in having to turn on an entire die back and forth so i think the way intel's doing it is smart but i we're gonna have to wait for comprehensive testing which frankly we might not even really have with meteor like until january but (laughs) exactly right so but i would have to say that i'm just gonna suspect that in sustained idle workloads or you're watching a movie and then you don't press a single button (laughs) meteor lake's low power e-course will offer big benefits 
But if you're someone who jumps between doing something on multiple screens or going between things, I'm curious if there are somewhat typical user habits that might actually not have a power consumption advantage with Meteor Lake. Obviously, it uses Intel 4, so that's an advantage too, and there's other reasons it would save energy. But I, I am, I, I'm, I'm thinking it might be more of a mixed bag than people think for some users, especially power users. But more casual users will see the biggest benefit from Meteor Lake's efficiency. Yeah, I, I mean, well, I, I guess we'll see. I, I think also just a big part of that is going to be how well the scheduling works like or not even i don't even know if it comes down to scheduling but just how well they have it worked out uh when the lpe cores will actually be in use on with meteor lake or not because uh, there's the potential if it were just switching back and forth for tasks for no apparent reason that you could get a pretty bad performance out of that but or power performance. Well, I think the way it's structured, and I, th- I believe they've talked about this, is that they use the LP e-cores as often as they can, and then and then they use e-cores, and then they use p-cores in that order okay. only when necessary. So I, I can just come up with scenarios where it might not work as well as you'd think, but we'll have to see. I mean, yeah. I don't know. You know, it might end up excellent, but let's not pretend there aren't some downsides to it and some positives of a monolithic design that I felt like people were overlooking. Um, But okay, let us then move on to products OEM seem to be kind of overlooking with story number one. Intel Raptor Lake refresh developments. What are our sources hearing about Intel's 14th gen launch on desktop? All right, let's talk about Raptor Lake refresh. What should you expect? Well, I'm not going to put any quotes on screen, but rest assured that we have been talking to contacts over the past week, and generally the consensus is as follows when it comes to Intel's i9-14900K, 14700K, and 14600K launching, presumably in a couple of weeks. First of all, nobody's really that excited at OEMs. I have some contacts that already have i9-14900Ks who say, and this is a direct quote, it's just an i9-13900KS with a new name, and then another contact said, it's a hair better than the 13900KS, but you won't notice it besides the fact that it definitely has a better memory controller that supports faster memory on average. Meanwhile, despite Raptor Lake Refresh having DLVR enabled, which Raptor Lake 1.0 didn't, so this just kind of gives it a 10 to 20% higher TDP budget to play with, one contact tells me that their 14900K sample climbed above 400 watts and was uncoolable in all core workloads at least in this person's testing. So on the surface, it seems like Raptor Lake Refresh, while having the potential to be more efficient due to a more mature node and DLVR enablement, spends its new TDP budget very quickly on squeezing out every last percent of performance, and it's rarely that many percents more performance. Finally, I'm not ready to double down on supply just yet, but it sounds like do-it-yourself will at least have decent availability of the i9-14900K and potentially some of the other models. But most OEMs besides boutique system integrators aren't rushing to stock these things. Like basically no OEM I spoke with was like, oh yeah, we're going to have them ready. Some said they might not have them widely available until late December. So I don't know. I think OEMs just have so much Alder Lake and Raptor Lake 1.0 oversupply that they see no point in rushing out some 10% better thing into their products until they've worked through some of that stock. So in summary, Raptor Lake Refresh seems poised to bring single-digit, single-threaded performance increases, occasionally 
double-digit multi-thread performance increases depending on the SKU, and even more power consumption at the top of the stack. And OEMs don't really seem to care. So I know there's been a bunch of like, but every everyone's apparently photo album just has Raptor Lake box in it now on websites <laughs> or something. Like it's it's out there. It's widely yeah. out there. Um, and I just wanted to add what I've been hearing from people. What what do you think, Dan? I don't know. It's kind of a weird product launch. At, then at the end of the day, because I I mean the only thing I could, reason I can think that they're putting this out at a certain point is they want to like stick to an annualized release schedule. I mean. It doesn't seem like it's overall going to be that like any cheaper to produce. It's not really there's no real gains in efficiency from what it sounds like. And there's barely any gains in performance. Um, So it's just odd to me uh, why this is even coming out, if I'm being honest, because the only other reason I could think that they would do it is if they want to keep OEMs up to uh, stocked up with a new model line that they can uh, release every year. That's like even if it's not really any better than their previous year's model, they can say, well, it's kind of better if you look at it this way. But here, it's just, if it's using more energy, it's theoretically, I guess, slightly more power efficient, but not really in practice. I, I just don't know what this does, <laughs> honestly. Well, I mean, it is a bigger uplift in some ways, to be honest, than what we saw out of Intel 15 years ago. Now, that's both mm-hmm. a testament to how much they're going to be able to apparently squeeze out of what is barely a new thing, but it's also probably testament to how much Intel stagnated in the past. I mean, for oh, being yeah. honest, what? I mean, Haswell was like 10% better than Ivy Bridge, Skylake, well, Broadwell was like 5% better than that, but more efficient. Yes, Skylake was 15 to 20% better than Haswell, but it was kind of only 10% to 50, like better than Broadwell. And I mean, KB Lake was a 5% increase. So, you know, we're looking at maybe 2 to 7% to 6% single threading increases, 8 to 16% multi threading. That That's better than you got out of. Uh, half of the Intel architectures 10 oh. years ago. Oh, but there's some, I do want to say there's some truth to what you said. Uh, literally, someone at Intel told me today that I was talking to for that past video, like, we want a new generation every every holiday season, and then we want efficiency drives after that in the first half of next year, and then nothing in the middle of the year. So I really do think that there is just something to this Someone at high up at a- Intel said, it doesn't matter anymore. We're having a new generation every year. If it's 10% better, great. If it's 30% better, even better. But we're going to do it. And we're going to find a way to do it. Get back to work and find a way to do it. And they kind of did. Yeah, well, I guess I, I, <laughs> I correctly diagnosed what it is. It's just yeah, a little dumb to me because, I, I mean, just constantly having a new generation out. And I guess, like you say, it is better than what they were doing in the past but i would also counter by saying that is also the era where people's brains kind of turned off to the cpu market because it's like oh another four core that gets barely better performance than last year's model and you know when you need to get a new cpu eh, uh, you notice eh, it's like 30 percent better than what i previously bought but <laughs> there's no re- there's not much of a reason to really keep track of this new thing because it's just barely any better and uh, it just to me makes more the most sense that they would want to put something out every year so that c- they could go into OEMs with new models every year. Uh, and that being the primary driving factor, 
But if they already have Alder Lake and Raptor Lake <laughs> uh, to supply them still, just jamming the channel with more new product or, or more new product names is interesting. And then as far as like the DIY market goes, everybody that was like really itching to get uh, Raptor Lake already has it. And frankly, I don't think that many people were itching to get Raptor Lake. They were mostly itching to get Alder Lake <laughs> mm-hmm. two years ago. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I mean, let's just get to our opinion then, right? I mean, I I think in capped frame rates, you know, it will use less energy. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it should, it has DLVR, but if you really push it hard, it's going to use just as much, if not slightly more energy than last gen. I, I mean, I expect the Raptor Lake uh, refresh i7 14700K to basically use 13900K power consumption at that level of performance, pretty much maybe a little less power consumption at a similar level of performance. And then the 14900K to just be the KS, except 5% better maybe. And then the, again, you know, then the 14900K has to be 3% better than the 13900KS. Well, maybe consuming, more, I don't know, probably be 10% better while consuming 10% more power, something like that. Who is this for? Who would you recommend to get this? I mean, as always, this the the type of thing this goes for, I would think to recommend this for is people that use it for work that have a specific set of applications where Intel CPUs tend to be better than AMD CPUs. And that's And they just so happen to need it now, but yeah, not and, last year. Yeah, and, and that's about it because I don't really I don't really know why I would recommend any CPU other than the 7800X3D or something cheaper to a gamer. Right. Uh, honestly, I, I, I don't know why you would recommend anything stronger than the 7800X3D or anything. I shouldn't say stronger because that's a relative term depending on the application. Why you would recommend anything more expensive than the 7800X3D to a gamer because Sure, you can get like a 13900K or a 7950X3D or something, and maybe that outperforms it a little bit in a few games, but not not really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you know, with that like single-digit, IP, uh, not IPC, but single-digit single-threading performance increase, I think what we're mm-hmm. going to see is it like literally tie the 7800X3D and the really strongest models with fast RAM win on average by 2%, but it's still trading blows. I guess... I guess if you got an Alder Lake i5, the Raptor Lake Refresh i7 is a lot better. Mm-hmm. And if you can get a good deal on it, that's good. But I guess this is where I jump in as well. I forgot to mention this in the write-up. From what I'm hearing, the price will be the same as last gen's MSRPs, if not slightly higher. You know, so that's about it. You know, yeah. like, like th- th- that, and that's the thing is... I think we've also seen a lot of articles come out recently that Alder Lake's getting massive price drops. It's funny because if you really care about price performance, I don't know if if this is even 5% more expensive than previous gen launch pricing, which is to say the i9K will be 600 to 700, i7 450 to 500, i5 300, like 350. If it's any more than that for each of those at launch right now, I, I don't I don't think I can recommend them if you care about price performance because the 7800X3D is going to be cheaper than the i7 and just as good at gaming while using a third the energy or something. <laughs> and yeah. like if you care about multi-threading, yes, now Intel will confidently win, I'm sure, in multi-threading. You know, before they traded blows and you might say Raptor like one by 5% in multi-threading, de- again, depending on 
the benchmark. It, it, it was really trading blows. Okay, maybe now it's a 15% win, you know, but is that 15% win with a 4,900K worth spending 600 or 650 instead of 500 for a 7950X on discount? That, so what, you're spending 30% more for 15% more while using double the energy? I, I don't see who that's it, actually for. And you can upgrade Zen 4. So I, I only really see this for people with a weaker Alder Lake system or someone that for some reason has a great deal. DDR4 users don't make sense either. Like you want the fastest DDR5 for after like refresh. Yeah, and, and it's just it to add into like the pricing component. Uh, with GPUs uh, that are using that much energy, it is really getting to a point where it's like you kind of have to get like a, a water cooling system, like at least an AOI or AI, yeah, AI, oh, yeah. Uh, it, uh, water cooling solution where is and a good get, one not those 50 dollar cheap ones yeah and, and whereas if you get like a 7800 x3d hmm. you're probably fine on a, like a 30 dollar cooler or even a low profile like noctua one like i have yeah, a couple like people i i really do think people don't realize that throughout a lot of time i think a lot of the aio stuff was our, our water cooling in general has kind of just been style points more than anything. <laughs> and sure, it does give you better thermals, but better thermals only get you so much, um, especially in an era, especially if you're like not going to be doing a substantial amount of overclocking. like Or 24-7 rendering loads yeah, where you like leave true. it working for eight hours, I guess. But it's like if you have a CPU that's like rated to operate at like 90 plus degrees or something and it's always operating at like 55 versus 65 instead with a slightly cheaper air cooler you're not really getting that big <laughs> you're not really getting that much out of the the water cooler uh but with this no you a 4900k if it's going to push like 400 watts or something you really might need something like that or an insane air cooler mm-hmm. yeah well it's that time of year again the time of costumes family friends and of course, also eating lots of unhealthy candy and food. It's also simultaneously usually when most people are crunching to finish up the work they need to for the year before the holidays. And while you're crunching, that usually means you're also likely to eat other unhealthy foods in between those bouts of eating unhealthy food with family and friends. Well, that's of course, unless you eat Vite Ramen. This piece of content is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, including new flavors like Radiant Crab Roux, and also their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break that's sometimes away from home. Or they also have other healthy products like their Nano Boost Powder that makes any food at least a little healthy. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off a variety of products from Bite Ramen, like special bundles for Moore's Law's Dead fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes with their noodles, and other food products, powders, and utensils, and more. They really are a plucky small startup that has been really good to Moore's Law is Dead for years now, and I also genuinely like their product. So if you want to support Moore's Law is Dead, try Vite Ramen, and you know, just clicking on that link in the description really helps a ton, but buying their product and using the off Broken Silicon, of course, helps the channel even more. Try Vite Ramen today. 
QH Freddy writes in, Intel obviously has AMD in their rearview mirror when they launch products on December 14th because Intel has hammered to the end of the year and is looking back at all those AMD launches that already happened. <laughs> I just thought that was a funny uh, reader mail to because it's like, you know, because Pat, <laughs> Pat Gelsinger said, we're going to put AMD in our rearview mirrors like after Alder Lake. And um, I mean, they seem to be still competing with you overall in performance and they're just in your rearview mirror because I don't know, like you passed that their launch happened a while ago or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Beefish36 writes in and he says, hi, Tom and Dan. I have a couple laptop questions. First, uh, 12 four, oh, December 14th seems like an almost worst case meteor like launch scenario for consumers. It's missing back to school. Uh, Intel's hu- huge in enterprise, though. But do you see them using that date to get orders for 2023 budgets as they try to move some units on paper? Yes. Oh, well, and they also said meteor lakes coming out in 2023. So it has to come out in 2023, even though, for being honest, it really makes more sense for like spring sales at this point. Which, and then, yeah. Go on. With, with all the new OEM, when the new OEM models coming out, who the hell knows? Maybe it doesn't actually really come out until like February or March in any meaningful degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until after Strix is announced at CES or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, what I have heard is that there is something going on where Intel doesn't want, wants to try to avoid doing those paper, paper, paper launches of paper launches thing anymore. So what I've kind of heard is with Meteor Lakes, they actually want it to be a real launch. Okay. If that was the case, I still don't see why you wouldn't do something to push it to the beginning of December so you can get Christmas purchases on it. Because de- December 14th is too late. It's not going to be yeah. Uh, like yeah. <laughs> almost any Christmas purchases. Um, but he asks, also, well, Strix versus Meteor Lake sounds like a total bloodbath in performance, is Strix going to have better OEM support than Phoenix got? We're just now seeing decent selection of Phoenix models. They take this along with Strix. It doesn't matter how good it is. The fight would be Meteor Lake versus Phoenix leftovers anyways. Um, okay, so to go through his questions, yes, I think December, well, December 31st is technically the worst case launch for Meteor Lake. But, but honestly, what happened with Sapphire Rapids would have been the worst case where Intel claimed Sapphire Rapids launched at the end of 2022, and then it wasn't really out until the end of quarter one, 2023. That would have been the worst case for a meteor like that I could have seen happening. But December 14th is pretty close to worst case. Yeah. Um, now, as for OEMs, OEMs are very unhappy with Meteor Lake coming. They they were hoping for a September launch. I was. I thought, I mean, if you I thought it would have come out late September or October. And this completely misses back to school. And if you listen to the last uh, Broken Silicon with Wendell from Level 1 text, he says that the people he's talked to at OEMs are, and he's noticed it too publicly, and I have, by the way, you now have a Phoenix laptop, Dan, because they're just all appearing all of a sudden. OEMs were kind of thinking of skipping Phoenix because Rembrandt was kind of a bigger deal and Raptor Lake was competitive with it and dropped in with Alder Lake's stuff which they bought a ton of a ton of alder lake you know supply so if you can just smoothly transition into raptor lake that makes more sense mm-hmm. but now that meteor lake's been delayed I, it just seems like you know Wendell said this i'm hearing this oems are gobbling up phoenix supply all of a sudden and launching all these phoenix laptops for back to school and phoenix is socket compatible with strix so i don't know there's a part of me that wonders if this is actually maybe a bigger fumble f- 
buy Intel than they realize. Like they're pushing OEMs to go for Phoenix because it's actually ready for back to school. And in under six months, Strix is going to be widely available. From what I've heard, it's narrow chance it launches in March and most likely April. So it sounds like it'll be a little ahead of schedule compared to Phoenix. That is what it sounds like for Strix to me. Will it be better than Rembrandt or Phoenix overall? I, I can't say for sure, but I think it's going to be a little better than Phoenix. Which let's remember, actually, I'd argue Phoenix did better than Rembrandt. Rembrandt almost just didn't show up the year it came out. And you would think that the timeline from when AMD DPUs uh, are quote-unquote launched to the time when you actually start seeing them in products, uh, you'd think that time would start decreasing as they be, they're more resurgent in the market and they become stronger partners with those OEMs. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. December 14th is such a weird re- uh, launch date that uh, obviously I don't doubt that there will be models uh, wi- uh, with Meteor Lake uh, close to when uh, close to December 14th or within that a few weeks of it. But I don't know how many there would actually be. And I don't know if they're not a full like quarter and a half or two quarters ahead of Strix. It really kind of feels like in in actual large numbers, they're going to be releasing pretty close at the same time, at least for when people actually buy laptops, usually. Yeah, the final thing I would say about Meteor Lake versus Strix uptick is, and I've said this for like over a year now, I think, like, don't forget that Meteor Lake is the start of a new platform that Arrow Lake is going to drop into, and Arrow Lake's supposed to be a big deal. And OEMs would have been designing for Meteor Lake I mean, how long have I been leaking like pictures and stuff like for months now and really for like half a year? So they'll be ready with their laptops probably when Meteor Lake comes out, like more than ready. And they'll want to support up to Arrow Lake. However, so I guess what's the best way I could put this? I would not characterize this as now Strix is just going to magically swoop in and eat Meteor Lake's lunch. But I think Intel, especially if they launched in like August or September, had a real opportunity here to kind of like walk into the room and close the door behind them. So OEMs would have all of these Meteor Lake laptops and then start planning for Arrow Lake and go, yeah, who cares about AMD? Instead, what I think is going to happen is they're ready for Meteor Lake. They have to be for Arrow Lake as well. But now they're forced to also be working with AMD more. And so AMD got their foot in the door before Meteor Lake came out. And I think that means they have a real opportunity to start rushing things in before Arrow Lake and with it. I just don't think they would have had. Again, I'm not saying they're going to eat all of Meteor Lake's lunch, but Intel could have closed the door behind them. And now they haven't. And AMD is, at least from what I see, is actually becoming sought after in laptops at this point. And, and yeah, maybe they could have snuffed them out uh, if they had two good releases in a row and good and uh, were working well with the OEMs. But eh, if, if they can't do that, then the OEMs are going to be equal opportunity buyers of both. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. not 50 50, but right. But more equal than would have happened if Intel was on time. Yeah. So. All right. Well. Let us then move on to the next story here with story number two. Threadripper release date is just what I titled it. So I don't have a big write up here, but you know, of course, I've seen the articles out there uh, talking about hyping up a big Threadripper release October 19th, supposedly. And you know, I, I just reached out to some sources this week, and without going into too much detail, I'll put a quote thing on screen that I got to in the recent video as well. Uh, 
the recent Moore's Law did a video leak that Threadripper will be announced soon, but that it is unlikely to really be available to do it yourself. And really, most system integrators until quarter one or quarter twenty, quarter two, twenty twenty four. Anyways, any upcoming announcement from AMD about Threadripper Zen Four Pro is being conducted to steal Raptor Lake Refresh's limelight. So I can see this. Intel puts out reviews, and they're like. Our refresh is 10% better and uses more energy. AMD puts out Zen 4 Threadripper. Oh my God, HEDT is dominated. They want to steal the limelight when 14th gen launches, and then they also want it to be announced. So any workstation shoppers this holiday season go, maybe I should just wait wait for Zen 4. But be warned, from what I am hearing, you will be waiting possibly for like six months to even get this thing. Honestly, by the time Zen 4 Threadripper Pro is widely available outside of like Lenovo and Dell and stuff, I'm st- I am I would be surprised if Zen 5 wasn't around that, the corner anyways. So that, that wasn't until like, misremember, that wasn't until like a year ago, was it? Wasn't what? it? Or, uh, Threadripper Pro for Zen 3. Yeah, it was like a year ago. So there's no way around it. They launched Zen 3 Threadripper Pro like right before Zen 4 came out. And now they're launching Zen 4 Threadripper Pro right before Zen 5 comes out. And this kind of just seems to be their new cadence. Just because they announce it now does not mean you're going to be able to buy it on Newegg easily. And if you do, these are like $6,000 processors, guys. This is not the days of the, you know, $2,000 32 core or whatever it was. That Those days are gone, you know? So maybe they'll come back one day to consider to a desktop instead of a workstation. <laughs> yeah, right, which we'll we'll get to that in a second. But the the one good thing about this though is from what I'm hearing uh Fishhawk Falls refresh, which is kind of like the Raptor Lake R version of Sapphire Rapids coming mm-hmm. to workstation, um it should get DLVR and it should actually get higher boost clocks while lowering power consumption by 10 to 15% actually doing both at the same time, maybe fixing those amperage spikes that I've heard about with (laughs) um, Sapphire Rapids workstation Mm -hmm. that kind of makes it unsellable to a lot of people. Well, okay, so Sapphire Rapids workstation is really high performance, and the only issue was its power consumption. If they time that down, like even 10 to 20%, fix the amperage spikes and then boost performance 10%, I don't think most people need 96 cores. I think this refresh that is supposed to now come out next to Emerald Rapids in December could actually be something where I would tell a lot of workstation people, don't wait for Zen 4. Just get this unless you need that 96 core. You know, unless you need 96 cores. Because if you don't, if you're going to get a 60 core model anyways, Emerald Rapids is here now, and I just can't promise you how easy it's going to be to get Threadripper Zen 4. You know, so that is the one good thing I've kind of heard here is, and you know, if you think about it, like, what Zen 4 and Raptor Lake cores are fairly equivalent. Mm-hmm. Emerald Rapids is a more efficient version of Raptor Lake. Emerald Rapids isn't that far behind Genoa in some scenarios, I'm sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know. As far as Threadripper goes, it does just feel like it. Threadripper is becoming more of the afterthought line from when AMD cut from AMD's CPU lineup. So, yeah. If Bishock falls refresh gives you what you need get it <laughs> yeah and and i have to say as well about this one like i hope intel i've heard sapphire rapids workstation although they're not even shipping it to some areas <laughs> when it is available it seems to sell okay i hope the next one takes off because amy needs a fire lit under their ass for 
workstation. Like something needs well, to give here. It's just, I understand it comes out later, but it should come out then like six to eight months later. Coming out over a year later is absurd and kind of insulting. And they could do better. I understand why they're not now. They want to work on epic lead times, but so I hope Intel forces them to do better on this one. It does just seem like Workstation is just becoming more and more of an afterthought from both companies though, as time goes on. Or I don't know if it's not an afterthought for Intel. It's just <laughs> it, they're, it, Intel can't really put out, hasn't lately been able to put out stuff that uh, competes with AMD on time, I would say. And I don't know if that, yeah, that, I guess, I don't know if it's an afterthought for AMD or if they just are moseying about because they don't have to do it until their next line of CPUs is around the corner anyway, or their next mm-hmm. architecture is around the corner anyway. Yeah. So, all right. Let us continue this discussion about upcoming AMD architectures then with story number three. AMD Zen 5 and 6 specs, release dates, and potential core counts leak. Last week, this channel put out a video detailing basically everything you need to know about Zen 5 and Zen 6. In summary, Zen 5 launches early 2024, potentially very early 2024, and it will offer at least, underline that, at least a 10 to 15% IPC increase in addition to potential clock speed increases, efficiency boosts, and higher core count offerings. That's right. Unlike with Zen 4, where the Zen 4C CCDs really weren't ready until like half a year to almost a year after Zen 4 had already launched, Zen 5 will have its C variants, which this time are also on 3 nanometer, ready at the same time the main 4 nanometer architecture is ready, which means they can launch a 24-core model, maybe even with Vcash, long before Aerolake hits the market in late 2024. And do note, that IPC increase that was leaked in the video, that 10 to 15%, was a minimum target. AMD is expecting to achieve a, or I expect AMD to achieve at least a 14 to 26% IPC increase with Zen 5, but it's not going to be like 30 or 40% like some people have claimed. We're just going to have to wait to see exactly where it lands. But remember, Zen 1 had a 40% target. And then when all was said and done, when you average like 30 apps, turned out to be around 52%. Zen 4 had an 8% target. And then when they averaged it out across a bunch of apps, it turned out to be 13 and then I guess 14% later. So if they're targeting 10 to 15%, the takeaway is that's higher than what they were targeting with Zen 4. At least that's Mm -hmm. my takeaway. So I do expect at least like 15 to, I think around maybe 20% or a little higher than that claimed IPC increase. Uh, And then as for Zen 6, it will offer new two nanometer 32 core CCXs as an option, which suggests up to 64 cores on AM5, or more likely, 48 cores if they use a mix of core types, or if they don't use a mix of core types, they just use the standard ones. If there's 32 cores Zen 6C CCXs, I have to assume there's 16 core Zen 6 CCXs. Although, to be honest, I've heard there could be 8 and 16, so we're just going to have to see what happens. But all of this is to say that in addition to double-digit performance increases in IPC with Zen 6, massive latency improvements, and a new chiplet layout that supposedly stacks CCDs on top of an IO die full of what is basically Vcache. I think AMD's got some monsters coming in 2025 and 2026 that are going to bring typical performance increases and now have the options for higher core counts. I could totally see Zen 5 being 24 core and Zen 6 being 32 or 48 core. And yeah, so there you go. They got big performance uplifts, new core count options, and these two architectures are only one and a half years away from each other. 
What do you think, Dan? <laughs> um, you know, uh, I uh, for one, I'm just glad to see that the uh, launch cadence is shortening a little bit from this release uh, versus the last one to like, I don't know, this would be like 16 months as opposed to almost two years uh, last time around, which is nice to see. Um, and other than that, like, eh, then five, uh, <laughs> I'm excited to see how uh, they utilize those extra Z, uh, C cores that you get uh, that are going to be lower clocked, obviously. Um, Although they are but, on three nanometers, so but they go on. Well, I guess well, they're going to be. I, I, they're presumably going to. They be will lower be clocked, lower clocked. I am curious how much lower clocked this time. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Uh, like, presumably, the idea behind this is you get just get way better multi-threading uh, with the advantage of having eight uh, cores that can be used for gaming very well that are clocked high. Uh, and I don't know. I think that hybrid architecture seems pretty ideal and hopefully won't have the same scheduling well and shouldn't have any real scheduling issues that like you could potentially see out of uh intel's approach right now although i don't think that's really a big piece well i think the major things to point out with the scheduling enhancements that we could see out of zen 5 and zen 6 as regards to gamers which is most of our listeners Mm -hmm. um is the problem with zen 4 and especially the 7950x 3d is it has eight cores with vcache and then eight cores with no vcache. But those eight cores with no vcache, boost higher. The way AMD and Windows handles scheduling is they pick the fastest boosting core dynamically for that main thread. And you can even see it swap sometimes when I'm running apps. Like you'll see core one at 100%, then it switches to the second one. And it's it's dynamically as uh, thermals go up per core and then clock speeds go down, they'll even switch the main thread to a different core. Well, right. So if the vCache cores are boosting lower, that's not what Windows is used to handling. Well, with Zen 5, if you put vCache on an 8-core, but then make up for the lower multi-threading performance, which the reason AMD didn't put vCache on both Zen 4 Mm -hmm. CCDs is they said they wanted to have more multi-threading so they didn't lose as much. Well, now you can just add C cores. Those are always boosting lower. Might not need to be almost any scheduling adjustments in Windows, and it might just go perfectly. Um, And then with Zen 6, the fact that you're talking about possibly a 16-core CCD and then a 32-core, or even two 16-cores, means they're never going to have to jump off of one CCD for a game. And it seems like they may use like a unified L3 cache in the I.O. die that's stacked below it, meaning half of the issues with going to the other CCD are gone anyway. So I think Zen 6 is going to be an absolute gaming monster, but... It's all relative. Zen 5 looks like it'll be, it could be a big gaming monster as well. Well, yeah, I mean, going to Zen 6, it's just, I, I could imagine if uh, Zen 6 is 16 slash 32 core CCXs, uh, that might just turn into, I, I mean, that would be, they just have to completely realign how they brand their CPUs, but a gaming monster really might just be a 16 core single CCX like what would that be uh like 9600 or something i don't even know what they would call it at that point or 90 mm-hmm. that maybe they would try to like turn the 16 core into the new 8 core or something and it would be like a 9800 or something that would be probably a gaming beast and you would be a lot cheaper than having uh something with another ccx that has either another 16 cores or 32c cores on it that gamers won't really need 
Well, that's interesting. I actually talked about this with the uh, one of the contributors to Moore's Law is Dead, Kerry Nosugata, and we both seem to agree that, well, it seems like Zen 6 is moving to 3 nanometer and 2 nanometer offerings, like 3 nanometer for the non-dense cores, and presumably some form of N3X, and then 2 nanometer for the dense cores. That can't be cheap. I have to kind of assume at some point here, something's going to have to give and they're going to put APUs in the low end. Like at some point here, I'm kind of expecting them to say, hey, the $200 or $300 chip is either Strix with 12 cores or some updated variant of it with Zen 6 that's monolithic. And that's it. Like we're going to put the eight core with graphics at 300 or 250 and then the 12 core with graphics at 350 but the good news is that 12 core now comes with the equivalent of an rtx 3050 so you really do not need a dedicated card and then they can just get rid of their low m and then i would suspect above the 12 core apu for 350 that's where you're probably going to get a 450 dollar partially disabled 12 core zen 6 cpu mm-hmm. With so that's what I think. I don't think they're probably going to bring 16 cores to 350 right away. I suspect that's going to be filled with APUs and disabled models. But I do think what you'd see is like instead of the 12 core being 500 or 550, they'll probably bring it down to 400 or 450. But it's a gaming monster, and it's hard to see who really needs that. And then I'm guessing the 16 core is 500 or something, 550. And then you'll have, you know a 32 core for like 700 and stuff. So it's like, it's not like they're improving, they're doubling core per dollar, but it's probably like they're kind of shifting it down a tier, but also at each tier, it's like crazy better again. Oh yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That's my suspicion. I I don't really know. And this is really the point where it seems like it would be easy for them to make APUs, like like replace their entire low end or even do something like a, a $500 APU that has a, I, I don't know, 12 core or 16 core with like a, a low end C, a GPU attached to it. I mean, they, they could probably sell that for like 400 bucks. And mm-hmm. I think that would be reasonable price performance if you're comparing that to just the CPU that you're getting out of it and like an equivalent uh, dedicated GPU on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It, it's just when you talk about the modularity of uh, Ryzen, and then you have six, a 16-core CCX, a 16-core CCX with Vcash, and then a 32-core CCX. There's so many potential permutations you could imagine out of it that it's like, well, they need to whittle that down to like probably six or seven models that they're actually going to sell. So <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it, it's really hard to imagine like which six permutations of that they would actually choose to bring to the market. Right, and that's why I think I've heard that Phoenix may be labeled Ryzen 8000 on desktop. We'll see. They might not call it that. But if they do, what I would advise, like advise AMD to do is launch Little Phoenix with its two Zen 4 cores, four Zen 4C cores as, I don't know what you would call it, like the uh, 8500G or something for Mm -hmm. what, like 200 and then launch an 8550 or 8600 G for 300. That is eight Zen 4 cores with 1650 Ti dedicated graphics performance built in for 300. And then, or I guess maybe, yeah, or maybe 250. I don't know. And then I don't really know where you put in the Zen 5 6 core, though. 
right? Do you put it below that, above it? But at a certain point, I do think there, if they go with up to 24 cores, there needs to be something that gives here where like the 8700X is now 330 and the 8800X 3D is 400, not 450. And then the 12 core is like 400 or 450. A 16 core is 500. And then I would advise AMD to call the 8950X, which would have been 16 cores before. Give it eight big plus or eight Zen 5 plus 12 Zen 5C. So it's even a disabled thing for like 700 or 600. And Mm -hmm. just give the 950 moniker now like 20 cores. Like that little bit. And then you can just wait until before Aerolake launches for X3D. Launch an 8960X3D and you're done. I think they only need two X3Ds, the top one with 24 cores and the 8800. Don't think they need any others. And I think there should just be like slight core count bumps up the stack here and there. Yeah, I I mean, I, I think for Zen 5, what you would want is uh, uh, at a certain point, it's like almost like you just want them to bump all of their numbers down a notch because, well, you're increasing core counts now again. So, like, but uh, what I Im- would imagine is that the six and seven hundreds are still a six and eight core. And uh, I, uh, yeah, then the 12 core, I guess, could be, or if there even is a 12 core, they'll be like an eight B cache, I mean, an eight, uh, no standards and five and then i don't know maybe the seven uh 8900 could be eight plus 12 and the 8950 could be eight plus 16 or something I, i'm not sure mm-hmm. um let me see here. Hollow Knight writes and says, you mentioned that Venice Epic uses SP7 in a recent video. I believe someone else did on Twitter before me as well. Says, what can you say about it? I'm guessing it's even bigger than SP5. Yes. SP7 is a bigger socket than SP5. <laughs> you heard that here first. Um, Tech Lads writes in and says, with Hawk Point being the replacement for Phoenix based upon the same architecture, will there be a Little Hawk or Crow to replace Little Phoenix in Phoenix 2? Well, so, right. Uh, there's Hawk Point coming out next year. Actually, Minis Forum uh, has announced that they have um, a Hawk Point tablet convertible thing coming out early next year. It's called Phoenix Plus in some of my old slides. I put those out you know, publicly leak them. Um, and up until, and there were some stuff that said it could use RDNA 3.5, but some people still aren't sure if it's going to. So there is a chance that Hawk point actually changes a few things under the hood. Uh, I can't confirm it yet. Most people I talk to say, don't expect anything big, but I have to say if I were AMD, you know, and I actually want to put on screen here, something from uh what is it friend of the show high yield where he looked at the die shots of little phoenix and i showed you them dan if you'll remember and it shows like a it's clearly like they took some of the ip block from phoenix for eight cores and the cross like l3 bar just has like three slots six slots filled and two are empty like i can't help but think that instead of just mindlessly rebranding phoenix as hawk point I think they should take that 178 millimeter squared die. And then as far as we're aware, little Phoenix is 138 millimeter squared and they should just split the difference. Like they should make it two Phoenix plus or two Zen four plus six Zen four C or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then do whatever else they can in the die to shrink it as much as possible. And then update the graphics to RDNA 3.5 and hopefully with better yields, 
a more mature node, it kind of evens out that the CPU performance, despite being smaller, is the same oh, as same. as Big Phoenix, and the graphics performance is like 10 to 20% better. And then if you could get that down to about 150 millimeters squared, remember, Zen 4 cores are, as far as I can tell, and as far as I see other people talking about, are, are smaller cores than Zen 5 cores, in a similar way that Zen 2 is still using Mendocino to this day because their cores are so tiny on an old node compared to even Zen 3 or Zen 4. So, well, not Zen 4, but Zen 4 is on a more expensive node. So I can't help but think I don't really see the point in a Hawk point unless they do that. Um, it's still smaller than Strix point, which I believe is 225 millimeters squared, but I, I don't know. I've also heard there's another version of Strix as well. So I would just think... If I was AMD, I would have the 12-core Strix with a 3050 integrated graphics, and then I would have like an 8-core Strix with four CUs or something like that. This is the one that's meant to be paired with a mid-range GPU, but it has a weaker graphics card and only 8 cores. And then Hawkpoint would just be trying to be cheaper than both of them. Uh, that's what I would do if I was AMD. Uh, but we're, we're going to have to see. Yeah, it's weird. I guess, I, Yeah, I guess I'll see. I, I mean, I don't know it. This is getting to the point, uh, the territory where seeing the all of these uh, like code names that AMD has out for their laptop lineups, it seems like they kind of have the potential to cannibalize themselves. A bit, so I'm I'm really not sure. The only reason I could see it uh, though is if it's like a ten to twenty percent boost, and it's just ready at the start of the year. So they're like, yeah, we're launching it, but then over time, that's going to be below Strix, big Strix. Well. Not Strix Halo, but the 12-core Strix. Strix. And that's what's there for like eight months. And then a little Strix comes out, uh, and then they just get rid of the old Hawk Point. Yeah, I could see that happening too. But it's either that or what I proposed I think makes the most sense. Yeah, or it just goes into really cheap uh, laptops, which I don't know. But remember, Zen 5 also uses 4 nanometer. So if it's like 30-40% better, why make something 10% smaller that's 40% 40% worse. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> QH Freddy writes in, what are your thoughts on the TikTok development model where the improvements alternate between microarchitecture and packaging? I find it interesting that AMD has constantly been able to deliver around a 15 to 25% IPC increase from new core architectures gen over gen and then slowly push packaging forward every three generations or so but do the core upgrades need to be as fast as they are doing them seems really aggressive um i mean i don't know i would i agree i mean you look at what amd's accomplishing here and intel's remaining competitive but it seems like the intel cadence that we're about to get to in the next story is like new architecture add more little cores refresh then new architecture, whereas AMD is just like new architecture, new architecture, new architecture, and every now and then new packaging. It's impressive for a company that's smaller than Intel. I, I I think they could probably be milking more with plus generations. I'm I'm guessing you agree. They, but if they did, though, why if you can get Zen 5 out sooner? So that's probably why they're not. Yeah, they probably could, but I, I mean, I don't think I, I just don't see what they would quite be getting out of it. Like, I don't think that Intel is consistently far enough behind AMD where they can't allow, or they couldn't allow Intel to catch their heels. Uh, so having this release cadence, at least for this, the time being, the, makes the most sense. And I don't know, we'll see what Arrow Lake ends up looking like if that's the truly new resurgent Intel or if they're just 
not dead in the water or mm-hmm. maybe even after Arrow Lake, but yeah. Well, you're bringing it up, so I think it's about time that we get to story number four. My girlfriend likes dressing up our pets, and heck, I do too sometimes. Probably a lot more than they like it themselves. But you know what's scarier than being dressed up by a giant human like a strawberry or a tomato? Well, that's overpaying for Microsoft software, and that is why you should go to cdkeyoffer.com during their Halloween sales event. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, office products, or many of the latest games, cdkeyoffer.com provides PC gamers with a product that I honestly think this community needs, and that's just avoiding monopolistic prices on software, especially Windows and Office products. And you know, the Moore's Law is Dead team has been working with this company for a very long time, and still does for a reason. They've been good to us, they've been good to the community. Heck, recently I got my girlfriend a new compact gaming PC as an early Christmas present, and when it came time to set up the office software, I realized she was paying a lot of money for a year for Microsoft 365, and she was blown away to realize that that was a predatory service, and you can get Microsoft Professional 2021 Office for like $50, and then you're done. And you know what? You can get that around $50 cost if you just use the offer code Broken Silicon for 25% off, and you can use the code DieShrink as well to get 3% off every other piece of software on the website, whether it's Steam, EA, or Ubisoft keys. Using either of these codes, Broken Silicon or DieShrink helps support Wars Laws Dead a ton, and it saves you money. So support this channel by supporting CDKeyOffer.com during their Halloween sales event today. Arrow Lake Refresh and Nova Lake Update. After Moore's Laws Dead leaked Zen 5 and Zen 6 details, the gossip mill seemed to immediately assume that what was leaked about AMD's upcoming architectures wouldn't be enough to beat Intel. Well, is that true? Well, that's what this channel set out to confirm this week with another massive CPU leak, but this time of the blue varietal. In summary, Arrow Lake is launching with impressive 25-40% to 40% single-threading performance increases and decent multi-threading performance increases in 2024. But 2024 is a whole year. When we say Zen 5 comes out in 2024, it's at the beginning. For Arrow Lake, it seems to be at the very end of 2024, with some contacts thinking it might not even launch until November or December. So Zen 5 should have a solid 6 to 11 month head start on the competition with Zen 5 versus Arrow Lake. Meanwhile, uh, Zen 5 is all likely to also have an efficiency advantage most of the time. I don't know about in laptop, but I think if you're loading up most of the cores, it will. Um, and Air Lake is unlikely to firmly take all performance crowns. But what about that 8 plus 32 core model for Air Lake? Is that going to bury Zen 5? Not really, because unfortunately, it seems to be coming out a year after the initial 8 plus 16 core Air Lake that, while powerful by today's standards, is likely to launch next to Zen 6, and I don't think it's going to beat it. Then finally, in 2026, Diamond Rapids and Nova Lake are set to bring rentable units with that mystifyingly high IPC to compete with Zen 7, though. So, I don't know. Nova Lake, as of now, it's years away. It's going to offer supposedly 16 P cores, 32 E cores, and four low power cores with a 20 to 40% single threading performance boost. And that sounds really impressive, but I think at best it launches half a year before Zen 4. And it's not really a Zen 6 competitor. 
Meanwhile, Lunar Lake is a four plus four lake field successor set to launch in 2024 or early 2025. And Panther Lake is now a fairly disappointing but believable Meteor Lake successor that will build out the tile layout Navi, uh, Nova Lake will end up using. So in conclusion, is AMD doomed? Personally, I don't think so. To me, it just seems like these companies, AMD and Intel, are going to be trading crowns back and forth for the next few years, and it's going to be execution and pricing efficiency that determines the overall winner of x86 by 2027. So what did you think of all this, Dan? You were privy to, of course, this while I was working on it and helped me with a couple of things, and it was quite a stressful video to work on, (laughs) but I think it came together well in the end. Yeah, so with Aerolite coming out that far after Zen 5, I mean, I think the the numbers you say to me, that sounds like Aerolite will probably take the performance crown and like gaming again, obviously the performance crown is depending on the task you're looking at, but Aerolite sounds like it will beat them in that. But if AMD is able to keep on, if AMD is able to keep on to like a year and a half or so cadence, and they might not have that crown for that long, so... Or if Zen 5 is coming out around when Arrow Lake actually puts out their 8 plus 32 core, eh, I mean, you'll probably have AMD have a pretty decent lead in performance for six months, then that will go to Intel for six months, and then maybe it goes back to AMD, or maybe they're back to the situation they're kind of in now where people are like, eh, they're both pretty similar. I mean, that is always kind of where the performance crown seems to be with CPU. Is people are always really splitting hairs on what who has the performance crown, but and at the end of the day, I I think efficiency and like you know overall snappiness of, that you get out of the system outside of actual gaming is really what is most important. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and then the Arrow Lake refresh kind of to me just sounds like it's a repeat of Alder Lake Raptor Lake, where Arrow Lake refresh is kind of the raptor like to alder like where maybe the e cores stay the same but they give you thir- uh double the e cores and who knows how much that will affect you know most of the audience which is gamer right because again and we talked about that earlier like i think the way intel is going about things and actually and some phone calls with people today at intel that is what they're driving for in fact one person told me i mean what this person said, I just don't really see AMD going for that seven watt crown. If you look at um, what's in the Steam Deck, even this person said, it's really just a tweaked version of an architecture meant to run at 45 watts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, AMD might keep beating us there occasionally, but we think we can drive towards ultra low performance in a way they're just not trying to. Right. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind what that means on desktop. They're usually going to be less efficient. It's just such a bizarre scenario where it's like Intel's probably going to be more efficient below 20 watts and then a lot less in the middle. And then, but on desktop, you know, Intel just looks crazy, even though really the most low power devices are Intel. But that's possibly. It's worth pointing out. I don't know. Zen 6 could be crazy efficient laptop. We need to see Meteor like get benchmarked and see how Strix turns out before we make any bets on who is more efficient. Because I remember, you know, the, the rumors for Rembrandt, the Zen 3 Plus APU, and seemed kind of underwhelming, but then it came out and it actually was pretty dang efficient compared to Intel at the time. So we'll just have to see. Yeah, I, I mean, what that's the problem with like trying to 
really at a certain point guess uh, what the landscape will look like, like who is going to be doing better than who at the, at any given point in time is like when you're projecting something, it's like the next generation ahead, like your gap is this big. Then the next generation, it's this big. And then why the three, it's like that big. It's like, well, there's so much overlap between the two at a certain point. You're like, I don't know. I think whichever one is able to have a faster release cadence, uh, assuming all of those projections are met, uh, to some decent degree, whoever can release stuff the fastest is probably going to be the best off. Right. And I just, one thing I'd want to hone in here on that is kind of a big aha that I came to after talking to a bunch of people this week about it is the way, you know, when Pat Gelsinger goes on stage and he just announces, we've got all these architectures coming. We got Arrow Lake, we got Lunar Lake, we got Panther Lake in the next two years. He's kind of like not telling you that like Lunar Lake has a new packaging technique for ultra low power performance, Mm -hmm. but it uses Lion Cove. It uses Skymont. It uses the same TSMC three nanometer node that Arrow Lake uses. It's it's the same thing, smaller in a different package, right? Is you know it's not yeah, like it they're bringing out a new architecture really, and same for Panther. Like Panther Lake is analogous to Meteor Lake. It builds out a new tile. I, I don't know exactly how what performance I'd put it at oh, per core, right? And uh, over Arrow Lake yet, but it, it will get performance increases. But it's not sounding like the rentable unit version of Cougar Cove is happening. It sounds like a enhanced version of Lion Cove Plus is what I was told. So it's like. It's not like there's any. They're showing off three architectures, but if we're if we're being honest here, what's really happening is Intel's kind of launching tweaks, and the big performance uplifts are every two years. That's not really any different than AMD. Yeah, it's it's like if AMD. I'm not an engineer, so I'm sure some an engineer could roast me for saying this or something. But it's like it's like if AMD. It was referring to their AMD, I mean, their, their desktop, laptop, and uh, and mm. Epic and Threadripper lines all as different architectures, as opposed to calling them different code names within the same ar- architecture. And I understand that AMD is basing their all of their CPU technologies on the same <laughs> on the same architecture and the same CCXs, and then just packaging them differently. But that that is kind of an effect what it feels like with what Intel is trying to do. And to be clear, AMD does show off these roadmaps where they're like, you know, whatever, Zen 3 to Zen 3 Plus to Zen 4, but they'll call that the mobile roadmap. They don't do this thing like where Intel shows Arrow Lake to Lunar Lake to Panther Lake, typically. If AMD did that, they would be showing, I mean, what was it? What was it? I'm trying to remember. It's like, They'd be like Vermeer, Rembrandt, yeah, you know, Granite Ridge, Phoenix, and then like they could even start trying to claim other things. They don't even say Little Phoenix really exists. It's hilarious. Like they don't even talk about it. It's just in some products, you know. And then they called what was in the Steam Deck. They just showed like whatever whatever they ended up calling it for Valve, like Aerith. Like they showed Mm -hmm. them all in a row as if there's like thirty architectures coming. It's not really how I would portray it, you know. And it is admittedly a bit more confusing because i do have a harder time keeping track of all, all of intel's not really architectures all of intel's different uh code names because i feel like they kind of muddle what their code names mean to, to an extent 
Now, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it's in, think it's necessarily intentional. No, I don't just, think so. But it, it's just there's so many on, of them. <laughs> yeah, it's just based on how they do their roadmaps. It gets a little bit harder to follow what Intel is at any given point. Yeah, and if I had to guess, for some reason, I remember it well. I don't know why. I have a knack for remembering Intel code names, it seems. But I have to imagine that when you hear something like Strix, Phoenix, Rembrandt, it's like big artists, mythical creatures, probably sticks in your head more. Twin Lake, Alder Lake, like, I mean, Raptor Lake had a cool, like, these are fairly random words thrown in front of Lake Rapids and Falls. So it's like... Lake Rapids, Coves, Falls. Exactly. It's like, how do I even remember or- this? Exactly. <laughs> and they also distinguish between them more. So... But you hear Strix and you're like, oh, that's cool. You hear you like an owl. You hear Phoenix and you're just like, oh yeah, wow, flying bird. I'll remember that. Then you, you know, you know, I don't know. You you hear something like Alder Lake. What the fuck is that? <laughs> I, you know, I don't yeah. know. I, I just think that's worth pointing out why it's probably harder to remember. Um, Compressed Earthblocks writes in. He says, Dom and Tan. I'm just wondering outside of performance, what are you guys most interested in seeing? Zen 5 or Arrow Lake? I think Zen 5 will probably be the overall better product, but I'm very interested to see how the lack of uh, SMT or hyper-threading will do on Arrow Lake and its performance per watt, especially the 8 plus 32 design. 2024 certainly seems like a very exciting year for CPUs. Yeah, I mean, 2024 is going to be exciting for CPUs. Tons of Zen 5, APU, Strix Halo. Actually, I was talking to someone at Intel today, and the person told me, by the way, I'm so freaking excited for Strix Halo. I can't wait to see if they pull off like bringing enthusiast laptop performance into like half the power consumption. Like Strix Halo is... That's one of the most excited I've ever been to do a leak. I think that's the most excited I've been. I I doubt I'll ever own it, but Strix Halo is is the product that I I personally think I'm most excited to see what it does, at least. Right, so it's hard to say which one I'm more excited for. If you say Zen 5, can I include all the APUs? Because (laughs) then I'm more excited for Zen 5 and all the permutations of its like X3D Zen 5C. That really interests me. Having said that, if it was like one thing, Granite Ridge or, you know, Strix, if I had to choose one Zen 5 variant, I'm most interested to see how Arrow Lake single threading performs. And like, yeah, I am like versus Zen 5. But it's just because it, there's a little more mystery behind it. And, and the thing that's interesting to me about Zen 5 isn't really the core itself. It's all the stuff we're going to get next year. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I want to see, like, uh, do they really... Are they really going to pull that off with, like, uh, Brix Halo, where it actually does seem like they're just making a mid-range gaming GPU uh, on an APU. Mm-hmm. And Which here, we've been dreaming of for, like, Five and, years, and like, I don't know. We know they've been capable of for forever because look at the consoles. But <laughs> exactly. But um, so I, I, I'm I'm less. I, I don't doubt that it will work out well, uh, given that the fact that it's already been in consoles. But yeah, then as far as Arrow Lake goes, I'm just really not sure what to even expect out of Arrow Lake because I don't know what the loss of hyper threading even means for Arrow Lake. I mean, frankly, it based on the concept of like rentable units, it sounds like it will at least affect gaming maybe positively, but, but I, rentable I units see. aren't there until Nova Lake anyways. So oh, shit, you're right. Yeah. never mind. So this oh. is like a pseudo rentable unit layout. It kind of sounds like it's not quite there. So we're not getting the full effect, but it is still driving for a 30% single threading performance increase or more. I mean, I, I could see up to 35% or I get behind the sky is 40%. I could see 35 maybe though, too. And that'll be, That'll be really interesting to see how that pans out with eight cores, no hyper threading, just 
going crazy at 6.5 gigahertz or something <laughs> with that IPC. And if there is the occasional game where it just falls apart compared to Zen 5 X3D, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting next year. I think. I, I I do suspect that Arrow Lake is going to be as far as performance uplift goes is going to be more all over the place than other architectures. Where yeah, maybe some games it's like oh we love this, and other games it's not good. And then in uh, multi-threading tasks or yeah, multi. Not that gaming isn't ever multi-threaded, but highly multi-threaded tasks. I'm curious how if how high the variance is on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. All right. Well, so I guess the only other thing I could think to bring up about this that I think I forgot to mention is so I have benchmarks that I've seen of Arrow Lake beating so six plus eight Arrow Lake beating six plus eight Meteor Lake by forty percent in mixed workloads, and then yet. I think the single threading is going to be 30, 35% better. And I, I, I know, what I mean, and I covered it extensively in the video, but I want to cover it here briefly too. Someone might say, well, wait a second. You seem to think the multi-threading increase could be a little lower than the single threading. How, if mixed workloads are 40%, you have to go, remember, if AMD makes their Zen 5 cores 30% better, all of the cores are 30% better. If Intel mm-hmm. makes their P cores 30% better, Eight of the P cores are 30% better. And if they have all core boost clocks radically higher than Raptor Lake, then it could be like Zen 4, where Zen 4 had a 30% performance increase in single threading, but then a multi-threading of 50% because the base clocks were so much higher. But it's only that much higher on the P cores, probably, for Arrow Lake. So you could see a situation where, like, in six core workloads on laptops, you're like, you know, Arrow Lake is, like, 40% faster. But then the second you go to all the e-cores, oh, it kind of just goes to like 30%. And then in single threading, it's 35. That's something worth explaining here because I can see a scenario where if there's an 8960X3D out of AMD, next year, 24 cores, eight of them have Vcash, we could have a scenario where Intel wins in gaming by 5 to 15%. It might only be 5%, honestly. We'll have to see. Uh, Or it might tie. I don't know. Um, and, but then in mixed workloads in, uh, all of a sudden wins by like 10%. But then if you're using more than 16 threads, all of a sudden AMD starts pulling ahead of multi-threading. I just mm. think people need to understand that that's where that comes from with the weird projections of performance because Ehrlich's a weird architecture. Well, I, I mean, yeah, it just, it, it makes sense that you have one architect. It has two architectures. One of them is being radically redesigned and one of them really isn't changing all that much. So mm-hmm. if it's just sticking to that radically redesigned new work, uh, new architecture and it likes that, that redesign, then yeah, that task will be, go to the moon. And if it mm-hmm. doesn't like that and it needs to go past those eight cores, well then yeah, that's probably not going to be great. <laughs> yep. And that's why, again, if it comes to the whole family of products, more interested in Zen 5. If it's one product, I want to see Arrow Lake desktops performance for more than any one Zen 5 product. Yeah, that's um, All right. Now let us finally move back on to the AMD and this time graphic sides of things with story number five. RX 7900M. So I don't have a big write-up for this, but let me jump into it. Rumors have been circulating that the Navi 31 slash 32 hybrid die this channel leaked months ago could actually get productized as a 7900M. Could it? According to our sources, yes. And that's really most of what we have to report. Months ago, this channel leaked that AMD can put Navi 31 
graphics dies within a Navi 32 package with just four MCDs and thus fit these products into cheaper mid-range dedicated graphics boards or laptops with 16 gigabytes of VRAM. And it seems like there might be about to. However, I do have to caution people. I cannot confirm the exact specs personally. Things like the 7900 Golden Rabbit Edition had a surprising number of CUs a little bit. You know, I thought it'd be either 84 or 70 or I don't know. And uh, no OEM has told me about this yet, right? So I'm assuming it's either not going to be supplied by a lot of these OEMs. Like, I I won't say which one it was, but I will list a few of them, right? Like uh, HP, Dell, and what's who's comparable to them too? Lenovo or? Well, yeah, Lenovo, right? Yeah. So like, those types of contacts of mine aren't talking about it. So it doesn't sound like it's going to be widespreadly available with them, or if it is, it's months away. So I, we'll see. I don't want to make any predictions, but this whole time I've been wondering, is Corsair and MSI about to announce a bunch of 7900M laptops eventually? Because, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like these other OEMs are that interested, but we'll have to see, and that product's coming out. Any huh. thoughts, Dan? <laughs> I, I, I mean, just bringing what I would expect to probably be close to 7800 XD performance would be nice to see on laptop. It is a little bit weird to see this come out, emerge first over. Is, is Are there Navi 32 mobile uh, GPUs out there right now or no? I don't think there are. No, and I brought that up to a couple contacts as well. I imagine I'll hear more within a couple of weeks about this, but I thought it was odd. I was like, no, I think, I like, think, wouldn't there need to be at least like a seventy-eight and seventy-seven hundred MXT? Because you'd think they'd bring like the forty-eight CU yields that I've heard are probably there for Navi thirty-two's GCD as a seventy-seven hundred M or seventy-eight hundred M, and then I don't know some extra cut down garbage yields for the seventy-seven hundred M, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, that that's the thing that stuck that stuck out to me is this coming out before you actually see Navi thirty-two proper uh be put into a laptop but i i mean if this is going into laptops as a 7900 m honestly i do like just how that spells for amd the way they're doing branding is a bit less confusing at least than what nvidia oh i wouldn't assume they're not going to call it the mxt which is still better than nvidia (laughs) but still odd to me they put the xt at the end Oh, yeah. I mean, so- someone at AMD is like, we got to put XT at the end of everything. We can't call it the 7800 XT. I mean, the 7800. It has to be the 7800 XT. And they're saying the same <laughs> even with laptops now. Yeah, it, it, it would be nice that like the 7900M is actually based off of the same at least graphics die, uh, graphics die that the other 7900 are based off of. And I don't know, probably pretty similar to the 7900 GRE uh, <laughs> in uh, layout and I mean, I would have to imagine core count because I don't know why they would need to cut it down more, but. Well, right. You know, so, and I guess the final thing I'd add about this is what level of performance are we going to see? Well, you have to remember that NVIDIA has played real goofy with how they've named laptop GPUs this time around. Like the 4060, uh, I guess the laptop 4060 is similar to the, no, I believe the laptop 4060, uh, I think it has, no, it has eight gigabytes, but they have a weird thing going on where it's like using the 107 die and then the 4080M, or they don't even say M, the 4080 laptop edition actually is a cut down 4070 Ti. Yeah. So I think that's worth keeping in mind. This is probably going to be a little weaker than a 7800 XT. Right. Okay. 
Well, actually, the 4080 laptop edition is weaker than a 4070. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's it, there's a chance this could match the 4080 laptop edition, not the 4070, and maybe even beat it. That I would just throw that out there. And high TDPs, I could see this beating the uh, plenty of versions of the 4080 laptop edition. Without 96 compute units, though, I don't see it coming close to the 4090 laptop edition, which is, of course, based on the 4080, and that's not what Navi 32 compete, 31 competes with. But if it's uh, yeah, it's if it's a, a, as clo- strong as a 4080 laptop, or close, or has the potential to be, eh, I mean, that can definitely go into desktop replacements, and they can set market a high end gaming laptop card, which they really don't usually have. So, well, the ace in the hole on this one too is that it has 16 gigabytes of RAM. So yeah. now they can take this thing. And they can sell it for the same price as a 4080 laptop, but actually have enough RAM for the performance it has. <laughs> I do think, depending on what they charge for it, it all depends, right? Because 4090 laptops are like three grand or more. 4080 laptops are, frankly, three grand or more as well. 4090 is usually actually 4,000. So if they can get this into $2,000 laptops that have 4070s, sign me up. You know, I don't think I, I buy laptops usually in that class, but that's where I think they need to be to make a big deal because they can say, hey, this is competing with laptop 4080s with more RAM at two grand. And it'd be pretty cool if paired actually with Strix now that I think about it. No, I I mean, yeah. The only thing I would imagine is, I I don't know, I think think it would probably end up selling closer to 2,500 to 3,000 because the laptop manufacturers can... Sell for, sell those for as high as they want. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, let us then move on to the next reader mail, which starts the next uh, story. Joe Brighton, he says, Tom, I read an article today claiming that Nvidia has signed wafer agreements with Samsung for their three nanometer GAA node. Quoting from the Hardware Times, let me add on to what he's saying. Samsung Electronics Foundry Division has allegedly secured advanced process node contracts with fabulous chipmaker NVIDIA, Qualcomm, IBM, and Badu. Expected to commence in 2024, the Korean Foundry will supply the chipmaker with 3 nanometer wafers after a disastrous 5 nanometer process node. Yeah, everyone I talked to it in uh, video named he talks shit about Samsung lately. Uh, this report comes from hankyung.com. Well, so I, yeah. Then Joe Bass, is there any truth to this rumor? I reached out to someone at NVIDIA and I will put the quote on screen here. Uh, it's pretty cut and dry. The person said, don't read into this as meaning we're going with them for a next thing. This is a test chip. We may use them for some some product somewhere, but don't take this to mean that Blackwell or something's on Samsung 3 nanometer because we think it's great. In fact, the person went on to say, we order test chips to be made at every node to test them. That's all we're doing. Don't take this as an indication of literally anything. Yeah, and uh, the only thing I can think is it, it does seem like they secured. Uh, I can find that article for you. Uh, it does seem like they secured a pretty big contract with Samsung to supply them with HBM. But that's oh, separate. sure, of course. <laughs> but that's separate. you know, <laughs> right? And so some people might see a big contract with a lot of money. Someone says, "Hey, there's an Nvidia chip here on three nanometer." Nvidia contact tells me, "Yeah, it's a test chip. We're buying their HBM. Don't worry." Yeah. So I just say, don't worry, don't read into it. Uh, it would be good if Samsung 3 nanometer turned out well, but I guess we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, skeptical on that one. All right, let us then move on to the final story of this one. 
AMD surprise launches FSR 3 last Friday. How is it? And the only thing I'm going to say is everyone that I spoke to about this was pissed at how AMD launched this stuff. Like, it, it, it just, like, so apparently the person at Tech Power Up Wizard said that literally AMD messaged them during the afternoon and said, here's FSR 3, want to test it before the weekend. And so I can't help but think a lot of the testing of FSR 3 was very rushed. Having said that, I I happen to know from talking to some reviewers, and this will be coming out next to, I believe, some FSR 3 reviews, that a lot of people don't think it's comparable to DLSS 3, right? Yeah. Um, from what I've been told by people testing it, and I did test it with you, I'll let you get to it in a second, uh, FSR 3's image quality for the generated frames is actually comparable to DLSS 3's generated frames. But in some scenarios, there seems to be more artifacting, especially with how it's wonkily applied right now. And it kind of feels like they forced this out and it could have used a few more months of time in the oven to fix everything. When it's used well, it seems to be competitive with DLSS frame generation, but it has a lot of caveats right now that makes it cumbersome to use. And so I can't help but feel like it's kind of still in beta. And of course, if you remove the frame generation aspect, FSR's image quality has not improved compared to DLSS. And DLSS is just better on average. So that's what I've heard. That's what I'm seeing. Uh, that's what I wanted to say. But Dan, you have a 7900 XTX. You tested it extensively in multiple games. Tell us what you found. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't really say I've tested FSR 3 properly in more than one demo because I, I don't have access to the two games and actually have it in with in-game support. But uh, I've tested it in Deep Rock Galactic, and I which I had to do a wonky way to test it because Deep Rock Galactic, I already get 144 frames pretty much locked. But on <laughs> uh, um, Deep Rock Galactic, I limited frame rates to 72 hertz, so half of my monitor's refresh rate. And uh, tried, you know, just gaming for a while with native frame rates, 72 frame rates, uh, 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 native 144 hertz, 72 hertz, and then... 72 hertz with FSR uh, fluid frames, what they like to call them, applied. Uh, and in Deep Rock Galactic, I would say my experience was obviously I prefer native 144 hertz to either of them. Uh, and I don't think I noticed that much positive in Deep Rock Galactic with 144 hertz. I mean, with the fluid frames on. To me, it, it, it smoothed out the image, but it, felt muddier to me i don't know how to explain it exactly like i don't know if it was artifacting or if there's less consistent frame times or what it just felt like a far muddier experience than even 72 hertz uh without fluid frames on so you're saying 120 hertz but it's frame generating from 60 feels worse than just gaming at 72 yeah to me at least like i i just found the lower frame rate did not really detract from my experience that much. And then actually going up to my monitor's full refresh rate, I felt as if I was, you know, it, it, getting an improvement in latency and the image looks less muddy to me. Uh, and then I'll say I was able to turn it on in Age of Empires 4, which I would say was the most positive uh, experience I had with it so far. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it just got a clean doubling of frame rate. The latency of that game doesn't matter that much. So if there was any improved late, I mean, worse in lace, latency, it didn't do much. And the image looked a bit smoother to me. So 
for that, I, I guess I'd recommend it. And then I messed around with the Forspoken demo because I don't have Forspoken yet. Uh, I mean, not yet. I'll probably never own Forspoken because it's not a good game. <laughs> but uh, just testing that to see like how I felt about uh, that Mac settings with uh, FSR Ultra, I got about 70 hertz. And then with F, uh, Frame Gen on, that bumped it up to 120 hertz pretty constant. Uh, and there, I would say similar experience to Deep Rock Galactic while you're moving around, you, the image looks smoother, but it's kind of hard to tell what's going on while you're turning. So like, I, I, I think, uh, it's, you're not really getting that much improvement out of it. And to me, it felt like the game was a lot, uh, more jittery was more jittery and it felt, uh, heavier while i was using fsr3 and then i tested all right well what if i just turn on ultra performance fsr3 and yeah the image quality is definitely worse than fsr ultra uh, uh than fsr ultra but i got the same frame rate as i had with frame generation on and i the frames were actually clear like while i was turning around so Frankly, I, I just think ultra performance looks better than uh, actually having the frame gen on. And uh, looking at other reviews, uh, that seemed to be what they got out of Forspoken as well. Like there was a, I think uh, Daniel Owen did a decent review of it. And he highlighted the fact that when you have FSR3 on or with frame gen on, you get like really weird, like juddering effects while you're turning. Uh, and I, I think his video of it highlights what that looks like pretty well. So oh, I don't think FSR 3, or I should just say frame generation, is that great of a feature, and it's really only in a couple games. There's a bunch of weird caveats with it where there's no variable refresh rate and you have to have VSync on. So it's like, I, I'm not sure what exactly it's for. It's It's for if I'm getting half of the frame rate uh, of my monitor uh, when I have all the settings turned up and I refuse to turn something down because I want the game to look more stuttery and weird and not get <laughs> and not improve my latency by uh, having an increased frame rate. Or I could just do something like bump down the image quality by lowering anti-aliasing, lowering one of the slew of uh, graphics options you have, lowering the resolution, lowering the, uh, or switching to um, uh, adjustable or uh, uh, resolution, or just going to, or resolution scaling, or if FSR3 is an option, just going to performance mode. All of those options are there to give you a better frame rate, and none of them hurt your latency. <laughs> So mm -hmm. I, I don't know why I wouldn't just pick one of those instead, unless one of those implementations of those technologies is particularly bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the overall conclusion I come to as well on all of this. And I actually did finally install Hogwarts Legacy um, on my PC and mess around with DLSS 3. And my overall conclusion for both FSR3 and DLS3 is really the same thing. And that's that long-term, big picture, 
And I hear from people at NVIDIA, they're going to try to do this probably. If you can just sneak in frames when I have a dip so it's not noticeable, awesome. So if I'm gaming at 144 hertz, there's a frame dip in effect to like 120, I would notice that, especially if you went to 100. But then if you could just generate in frames dynamically so that it never technically visually drops below 144 with minimal artifacts, that would be a nice feature. I would like that in basically every game. That's not how it works right now. How it works right now is you have to run the game at half the frame rate and then generate the other half so that you never notice a judder, but you're always getting bad latency and random Mm -hmm. dolly pictures that pop up. To be fair, I tried out, I looked at your FSR3 stuff a little bit. I played with DLS3 a bit. I don't actually see the artifacts as often as I thought I would. So I feel like both of them have improved. Right. I do think DLSS 3 seemed a bit smoother in lower latency. It seemed to be a little better well, on no, average. People, people have measured it uh, in-game. Well, oh, never mind. I think, I, I believe in the same games, FSR 3 does tend to have lo- higher latency than DLSS, but I think that needs to be added with the caveat that you can't use AMD anti-lag doing an apples-to-orange, apples-to-apples, or attempting right. to do an apples-to-apples comparison. So, uh, there, there. It's, it's hard to say which is quote unquote better in any given game. I mean, from what they showed, uh, with their testing from AMD, like they, they claim that it doesn't affect latency that much, which is good. But hmm. I will also say, with like a Deep Rock Galactic specifically, I noticed a really odd thing where when I turned uh FSR or I shouldn't say FSR when I turned on fluid frames in the driver settings uh if i didn't have my frame rate limited to less than half of my monitor's refresh rate my gaming performance uh, my my performance actually went down so while i was at a locked 144 hertz refresh rate the actual in-game generated frames were lower so the latency was definitely impacted there because my performance went down about 20 10 to 20% with fluid frames done yeah, so I guess overall my opinion is surprisingly the fluid frame aspect of FSR3 works well in a vacuum, just that part of it compared to NVIDIA's. Yeah. But NVIDIA's in testing right now, although it's fair to point out anti-lag isn't available in a lot of things, uh, NVIDIA seems to have the overall winner and their image quality is better. Now, there have been edge cases I've seen where people are like, well, with the better CPU overhead, AMD can actually, in some games in lower resolutions, use a higher you know, FSR scaling or even FSR super sampling with it. So it's actually improving image quality versus DLSS quality mode and it actually becomes kind of even there in some scenarios. But it's like, yeah, but that's some scenarios. At the end of the day, DLSS 3 still seems better. I feel like once this thing is patched, it'll actually be pretty comparable besides the image quality without frame gen, I guess you would put Mm it. Uh, But it seems like they rushed it out this month for some reason. It seems like they rushed it out this month and they've still got work to do on the image quality side. And so my overall opinion is, I think it's got a lot of promise, but man, AMD marketing fucked this one up. Uh, They definitely did. I mean, there are definitely a lot of caveats to FSR3, which is a problem that they need to get over. AMD needs to get past at a certain point. But from a tech perspective, if I I think uh, FSR3 does have the potential to be as good, or I should say AMD's frame gen does have the potential to be just as good as 
NVIDIA's frame generation. And if the driver level supportive uh, AMD's frame generation pans out, well, then uh, they have a really a big advantage with frame gen. It's just useful in such a narrow range of uh, video games that it's barely even a feature in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, and I think the biggest conclusion I brought my, and I just want to say this as an overall statement too for like DLSS 3 and FSR 3, like I brought my girlfriend in who plays Hogwarts Legacy and tried it on my 4090. Maxed out, by the way, full ray tracing, everything was getting 100 hertz with my 4090. Uh, Very impressed by that. Although the ray tracing seems very subtle in this game, to be fair. Um, So I don't think the performance loss is really worth turning on ray tracing, most likely, unless you just have the performance to spare. But Fully maxed out in the section I was in, the game was running above 100 hertz at all times. And then if I did frame gen, of course, it locks to 120 hertz. Okay, well, my girlfriend couldn't tell the difference between 100 hertz native and frame gen 120. But at the same time, if she can't tell the difference, technically that's a higher frame rate. And for her, the latency benefit of native 100 balanced out the visual benefit so they felt like a wash. And she said... Well, but isn't this supposed to be a feature? If they feel similar, what's the point? Yeah. And then I turned on, and then I turned DLSS down from quality mode to balanced mode in native with a locked 120, and she goes, this is better. Yeah. And that's the part that I just do not get. This is, until they can just sneak in frames, this is a solution in search of a problem, because... You don't get any of the Dolly picture artifacts, any of the UI issues, any of the ah when you turn fast sometimes. If you just turn down FSR or DLSS quality a smidge or turn down one thing, turn ray tracing from ultra to high or medium, turn geometry from ultra to high, you probably won't tell the difference. All of these things will boost that performance that extra bit. And I find this to be a useless feature. Yeah. You know, maybe it's besides for like RTS games, Flight Simulator, and Mountain Blade Bannerlord. But basically, none of them have native support besides uh, Flight Simulator. Like, it's mind-blowing to me. People keep listing Mountain Blade Banner, uh, Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord on list of DLSS 3 games. Guys, it doesn't fucking have it. That's wild to me. It and just tells also, me so many people making these lists don't play any of the games they're putting on their little lists. That's also crazy to me that, like, Banner Lord is now being referenced as in benchmarks all the time, and now in this, where it's like Banner Lord is like a, a weird indie game, niche indie game. I mean, maybe it's taken off more than I thought it would. Like, I like Banner Lord, uh, but it's just funny to see people talking about these games that not that many people play all the time, <laughs> as if this is the big killer feature. Yeah, and I can't find. I'll give it this. There's mods to add better versions of DLSS, but uh, last time I checked, DLSS 3 isn't in the game. And uh, let me see. I'm trying to find latest DLSS 3 breaks Bannerlord. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not seeing it in there. And like the top search, if you search, is someone in... If you search Bannerlord uh, Mountain Blade 2 DLSS 3... A post on Steam from February 13th says, is it here yet? And everyone says, no, and DLSS breaks the overworld map, which I do remember that being an issue when I used to play it. I don't know if it is now. So it's just bizarre to me, like how few games have DLSS 3. The ones that could really benefit from it are Age of Empires and Bannerlord. Yeah. And besides that, I just turned down one setting. You'll appreciate the better latency. 
Um, QH Freddy writes in, do you think AMD is building its FSR feature set and marketing it based on the assumption that people will consider it to be on par with what NVIDIA has? Do you think buyers will feel that way? How do you think, I think some buyers might, but he says, how do you think the fact that most FSR works identical on NVIDIA hardware and plays into that? Well, I'm going to avoid the last part and go, do you think AMD is building an FSR feature set and marketing based on the assumption people consider it on par? I think that's what they hope for. I think they're building it because they have to. I mean, they're yeah. like a gen behind NVIDIA, at least at this point, I think, with um, DLSS tech or like upscaling and frame gen tech. Um, I guess depending on how you look at it, you could say they're half a gen behind. But, you know, they're, they're basically a gen behind and they don't want to be two gens behind. So that's why they're doing it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, at a certain point, if they are not trying to at least reach a AMD has... Uh, AMD version of that feature, even if it's not quite as good as the NVIDIA feature. Well, eventually it's just going to be like, all right, we have this, 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 and that. Like they have six things that AMD doesn't have. And then it's getting to all those compound to a point where it's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is worth spending 30%, 40% more on an NVIDIA card for if they have identical raster performance. Yeah. Um, QH Freddy writes in, why are anti-lag plus and NVIDIA reflex completely ignored by marketing and most hardware testing outlets? Is there some disconnect in marketing at both AMD and NVIDIA side? Is it the reviewer? Is it a lack of proper way to test? Is it a lack of interest from the community? Well, I think from AMD and NVIDIA, they know they just want to have the biggest number on average FPS graphs, and that's number one for them. Uh, but I agree, uh, anti-lag plus and NVIDIA reflex work really well when they're enabled, and I... I think more people should be talking about how they compete with each other yeah i, I mean i think uh stuff like uh frame gen has the potential to make people care about it more as a feature <laughs> so yeah, maybe they will start advertising it more in the future given that now given that i think nvidia accidentally opened a can of worms with the latency discussion when they uh announced frame gen mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's hoping for, I mean, but again, it's like, I think FSR 3 will end up, well, I'm just keep thinking to myself, I just was hoping it'd end up better, but I don't think once it's finished, it's bad. I just think AMD marketing, just, I <laughs> got, I can't even get started on that again. Um, let me see here. You know, let me just skip ahead to the wrap up and the first story of the wrap up actually is the new, um, Alchemist driver update that seems to claim more real on average performance gains. Uh, Thalo215 writes in and says, given the effort Intel has put into their drivers this year, is it possible to steal a quote from AMD that they will age like fine wine? Finally, it seems like they really are making a concerted effort. Well, let's keep in mind, we are talking about Alchemist one year after it launched and was claiming to be a 3060 killer. So if the final driver is in 1080p, finally make it perform above a 3060 that would just be meeting what they claimed from the beginning but um is it good this time because i haven't looked into it i couldn't tell it almost before when intel claimed performance claims they i don't want to get into it but they really they really did not increase it how they portrayed it on a graph is it different this time have they actually made it better uh so the gra- the drivers just came out so i don't think there's that been that much testing yet as the time of recording this but they're They've shown in a slew of like 20 different games in DX11 improvement of somewhere between 20% on the low end from the games they showed to in 
they uh, interesting benchmark in Deus Ex: Mankind Divided. They found oh, the game co- everyone's playing. The lately, game everyone's yeah. playing. Uh, wait, no, no, not even Mankind Divided. Human Revolution. That's an interesting one. <laughs> they showed a hundred twenty percent frame rate increase, which is massive. And then in the and then in Call of Duty, they've uh, Modern Warfare. They also showed that it got a like eighty percent uplift. Or mm-hmm. Black Ops Three, and I think no, it's Black important. Ops Three, but not even Black Ops Four. I, I, I think they found a slew of like twenty games that probably gave them the best uplift that you would get. But it does sound like, from what I've heard, that there's offering like ten to thirty percent performance uplifts in a lot of games. So if you've bought it, I'm not going to call this fine wine because they're a year too late on it, but. Yeah, it's probably going to offer significant uplifts in a seemingly random smattering of games. <laughs> well, you know, when you call, uh, when AMD was claiming, and, and really mostly AMD fanboys were claiming that GCN was a- aging like fine wine, and it, and it and it was aging better than Kepler, I think we have to remember that it was el- is aging well and relatively better than Kepler. Like, it wasn't just that there were improvements over time. New games that came out, you were having like a 7970 gigahertz get close to a Titan by the end of it, the generation. Like, yeah. in a couple games, that's fine wine. Fine wine isn't playing Pong at a higher frame rate because they fixed Pong. You know? <laughs> so, I have an A770. Maybe I'll test it again when I get back from vacation. But... I'm sure hardware unboxed will too on this one. This, but the last time they tested it, Intel was claiming like I don't remember what it was. It's like thirty percent or something, and it, he's like it's five percent better. And if I had to guess, we're going to see five to ten percent again on average with newer games. But yeah. for it to age like fine wine, um, let me think. What's a big release coming out? Well, Starfield was it for it to have aged like fine wine. Starfield would have had to have come out, and you'd have seen the A770 perform like a thirty seventy. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine wine. Fine wine isn't again, you know, like we're now Age of Empires meeting, two runs better. We're kind of meeting our performance claims a year later yeah. for games that are twenty years old. So, yeah. well, ten years, ten years, ten years old, maybe. I think ten years old for Revolution. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, show me that. <laughs> um, otherwise, I think anyone who is like, I knew this would age well, isn't going. I can't wait to play Human Revolution again. Well, everyone else plays Starfield. Um, all right. So another thing in the wrap up here, uh, we have NVIDIA's fr- offices in France rated. Uh, did you read anything about this? It doesn't seem like they're, they've really said that much about it yet. Just that they're investigating a large chip, uh, GPU manufacturer into, uh, uh, bullying smaller companies out of the market by, uh, the, doing a uh, cloud storage or cloud computing mm-hmm. so, so i mean i'm never really against anti-trust cases so i don't know if they find anti-competitive uh, practices they find anti-competitive practice yeah and what i'll say is i'm not going to get into it too much i acknowledge it everybody it's in the news i see it but at the end of the day, I'm going to have Hogan is the next guest, you know, a mm-hmm. lawyer to talk about this. We'll cover it then. Um, Apple claims overheating on new iPhone Pro is software related and releases bug. Fix- so did they fix it? It appears that they fixed it. Uh, temperatures are better. Uh, 
We'll see how testing, I'm curious how testing goes to see if there's like an, they actually fixed it with a, a bug fix or if there's a, mm-hmm. <laughs> or if it's the, we fixed it by making performance 10% worse or something. <laughs> well, if you'll remember when Comet Lake, not Comet Lake, Coffee Lake, the first Coffee Lake six cores that pretty much sucked from Intel came out on 14 nanometer, Apple had all these overheating issues and their solution was now it's weaker <laughs> you know so who knows we'll have to see on that uh naughty dog hit with a large round of layoffs and the last of those factions is on ice so this is claimed by kotaku they supposedly have inside sources on this yeah their sources say that, that and uh actually reporting from a couple months ago not from kotaku i believe it was bloomberg said that Bloomberg is a weird one for that to come out. Is it Jason Schreier? Is he at Bloomberg? Is he the Washington? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he is now. Uh, They think that uh, factions might have been in development hell or that uh, Bungie wasn't a fan of factions. And uh, there was a round of layoffs. One of their big uh, factions, people that was hired for factions a year ago. He's at Bloomberg. You said Bloomberg before, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was Jason Schreier. Go on. Uh, One of the big devs that was hired for uh to develop factions was part of the layoffs it looks like so oh that is not a good sign yeah so according to kataku they say their sources told them it's not canceled but it's not good yeah sad but yeah we talked about it uh i don't think it was the last die shrink or no it was the last die shrink yeah so the die shrink coming out we talked about our thoughts on this much more so i think we'll leave it there grab to more slides at patreon you'll get access to that uh new egg launches gpu trade-in program to swap out your old gpu for yeah so i saw the new egg gpu thing they're giving you like half what you'll get on ebay Oh, I know. I, I I I I told you to include this one just because I think it's worth mentioning. I agree. You don't get it, it's to me. It's the uh, GameStop of graphics card trade-ins, where it's like, eh, don't expect a good price, but if you don't want to go through the pain of selling it yourself, eh, it, at least it's just like it's there. Yeah, it's like I have a sixty-nine hundred XT. I'm buying a forty-ninety. I don't know. I guess I'll get four hundred dollars off it or something. Get this Which over is, in a day. Yeah. Which uh, they have a chart like what to expect. And I, I would say generally expect like half to two thirds, like the street price you would get for a GPU, depending on what it is. Mm-hmm. Especially, and it seems extra bad for the AMD ones, which means anyway, assumes they'll have a harder time selling used AMD cards, uh, which is fairly true. Sag Strike may be coming to several American studios. So this is coming to video games. Uh, so of course, oh, so the, yeah, the writer strike hasn't hit the writer's strike hasn't. Uh, and this isn't... Con- well, it's confirmed the SAG voted to approve this strike. They haven't officially struck the studios yet, but eh, it might happen. I, I don't think it will... Af- wouldn't think it would affect like this as much as it affects TVs, but... I don't think so either. Eh, yeah, I-, I wouldn't be surprised if this causes like three to six months delays in some games coming out, assuming that they can't use this as a bargaining chip. If it lasts for a month, I expect almost no delays because you can still people working on other stuff. And a lot of the writing and capture stuff can be somewhat done in parallel. The good news with this, though, is that this is happening. Well, the strikes seem to be coming to a conclusion, so I can't imagine it'll be a long time. But it's something to watch, I suppose. And I'm assuming they I'm assuming SAG is going to be coming to the video game industry and try to use like the studio their deals with the movie and TV studios as leverage. Like, well, this is what we got from them guys. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, popular 16-pin adapter cable mod releases new angle 12 VH power adapter meant to address burning issues with previous designs. Let me pull this thing up. Does it have like a color code or what does it do to try to fix the uh, melting 12 pins? Uh, if you read into pin? if you read into the, what they say a little bit, I think it's funny. It's like it sounds like the like male part of the adapter just wasn't seated like securely attached to the rest of the adapter. I just thought it was worth mentioning because uh, mm-hmm. on <laughs> like if you browse Reddit, Tom, you see like every other week to every other week, like somebody with a cable mod adapter has a melted GPU. And it's like, oh, you guys fixed it a year later. Good job. So it seems like whatever issues plagued the 16 pin that seem like a low chance of being an issue. If it's cable mod, it's a lot of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's really late. I'm really tired. That gets through everything we need to discuss. I don't have any ending reader mails because I've got to pack and get on a plane in less than 12 hours, everybody. But we did work around the clock on this one to try to have all the content ready for you. So this will drop well. We're on vacation. I hope you enjoy it. Um, yeah, you know, remember to subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead on YouTube, bring the bell button, subscribe to Broken Silicon on your podcast app of choice. Please give us a review on those podcast apps as well. And remember, you'll get this early and ad-free if you support us on Patreon. You'll get die drinks that are rolling out over the vacation that we're going to be on. And yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll get access to a ton of premium ad-free content. Sure, just $2 a month and the $4 tiers you ask more questions, have access to more stuff. It's all there for you. So please, if you have the extra money, we can't do this without you. We do work very hard. I need to now go eat dinner at 3 Um, (laughs) a.m. Well, I don't know, Dan. Any last words? No, I don't think so. Okay. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Carrie Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, 
much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, Z Jits, Daniel D, Christopher Ricks, Aaron Close, Jen Rauner, Daniel High, Jeezy Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJV1, Sam Miller, Deke, SNES Chalmers, Jim Ferriera, Valcom Alev, Nicholas Buckner, Andrew S, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Gregory S. Ackers, Sar Castro, Evan Dingle, Greg Wanchek, Chris Rich, 3DS Boy08, Hal Buma, Hartforum.com, Compressed Earthblocks, Shredbird, Dr. Foreman, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Blake, Franco Frederick, Jake223, Jake Martin, Holden Mobley, Zicky, Christopher A. Butler, Sammy Malas, Stefan Hart, Meat and Pork, Tim Robb, Jordan Simkovic, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooden, Julian Leak, The Boss Haas, Danian, Deepest Learner, Stefan, Mads, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Grow, Emmy Will Chief, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Roger Davies, I should, Mark Raidmaker, Cameron, James Anderson, Cole Addict, Judson N, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Chrysantine, The Eternal Dreamers, Neith Razink, Hexa Puma, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Colin Tadards, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Seller, Loophole 35, Winstart James, I Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shay, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Hostron Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-711-700K, Joe Foot, Toka, Hardland, Slush Boss C2, Jamie Whitworth, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, David Sebastian, Samuel Park, Earth Taurus, Keith Moore, Himsa Gun, Tails2299, Me Val, Verga, John Stefos, Fenty CZ, The Forbidden Juice, Per Leakman, RB Racer, AC, Star, Lord Starstream, Michael Cozy, Dr. J Matt, Alex Vega, Free D, Brian Wright, John Swin, Rodent BC, Win Wang, Joe LaMartina, Kikum, Elbergun, Solarized 80, Trevor Renfro, Yeti, Thalo215, Matthew Marlowe, Raisin Biscuit, Jeff Johnson, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 